0: Welcome to the Bearded Tits Podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. In this week's show, I'm chatting to Hamza Yassin, who many of you will know him from his CBB's programme, Let's Go For A Walk, as well as appearing on The One Show, Countryfile, and the recent Channel 4 series, Scotland, My Life in the Wild. He has a passion for birds and is a skilled ornithologist and nest recorder with excellent field craft and habitat knowledge. Hamza is also a published wildlife photographer as well as a wildlife tour guide. If you can, there's a link in the description to buymeacoffee.com and you can help the podcast by donating £3 to help keep it going. If you could also leave a review, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, wherever you're listening, it really helps the podcast out. Today we chat about the main challenges of wildlife filmmaking, what it's like presenting to kids and making the switch from camera op to presenter. Here's the chat. Well, good evening, Hamza.
1: Hi, Jack. How you doing, buddy?
0: I'm good, thank you. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you. No,
0: no, I've been wanting you for ages and I think I've reached out on Instagram, but you were jet setting off to Africa at the time.
1: Yeah, that's right. You said, "Can you do this weekend?" I think I was like, "Funny question." I'm just about to leave off to Africa, so hopefully, when I come back, you can uh, give me a little uh, reminder, and I'll, I'll be happy to be on your show.
0: How was the How was the trip? Was it good? What What were? You, can you say what you were filming, or is it top top secret?
1: Um, yeah, I can. I can give you a broad uh, idea. So we were filming the the African migration. We were getting lovely. Ah, um, awesome. So, We were in Africa, the motherland. Um, If anyone's recommending it or it's on their bucket list, definitely, definitely go. And safari is nothing like what you imagine, but everything like you would imagine. Um, Okay. It's it's a wonderful place to be.
0: Is that your first time uh, doing the migration, like going out and seeing that?
1: Yeah. So I'm born and bred in Africa. I'm born in Sudan uh, and I grew Uh. up there, but the migration doesn't really pass by us. Uh, in southern Sudan, maybe, and in northern Kenya. Uh, but we were over in Tanzania and it was just phenomenal. Wildebeest and zebras, until your eye can see, like, <laughs> as far as your eye can see, there's just black dots and black and white stripes everywhere. And it was just wow. wonderful, absolutely wonderful.
0: Awesome. It's just one of those kind of, like you say, bucket list animal encounters, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you see it on TV and you see it on like the big documentaries and David Attenborough's voice is talking over it and it's just nothing like being there it's it gives you a very good inkling on what you're going to see but nothing like when you see it with your own eyes Um, so highly recommend it for people.
0: I bet. I bet that's absolutely awesome. So you studied at the, the University of Nottingham. When, when was that? Is that a few years ago now, I'm guessing?
1: Well, I yeah, I did my master's there. That was it. That was it. Bangor University.
0: Um, oh, OK. okay. a
1: conservation okay. course there. I think it was 2008 I did that. And yeah, phenomenal. Uh, really, really loved the university. Bangor's been so good to me. A lot of people who did the zoology course, some have gone on to do stuff with animals, some haven't. But for me, I think it was such a strong course, very well designed to allow me to be where I am now as a wildlife camera operator, but also just for the animal conservation side and animal behavior, understanding animals and knowing how to at least go into the conservation side of things. And also to use my platform as a camera operator to tell the story of conservation. Um, so really big kudos to Bangor University um, and thank you to them really.
0: Because I, I don't know if you know, so the, the the master's course that you did at Nottingham, so I teach on that now. I do a little part, wow. part-time teaching. So I was talking to David and Steve and I said, have you got any, any dirt on Hamza that I can bring up during this? And there was nothing too incriminating. The best they could come up with is that you found uh, an enormous sea snail rock pooling
1: all right. I can't even remember. Can you that? No, Now they no. sent
0: they sent me a picture so I know you did it. So a sea oh, okay. cuz it's a fish. It's a, it's called a sea snail, but it's a fish. And um right. okay. Uh, I'll send you the picture just to make sure. But yeah, yeah. it was they said it was you. And uh and the other one was you did a project with chimps and you knew every chimp intimately more or less. Yes.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. So for my that was for my undergrad. Um, oh, I okay. I did a study where I studied how chimpanzee, the males become the alphas. And everyone thinks it's, uh, you know, just beat everyone up and then they make you the alpha. But it's actually not. The male, the underdog, the one that's coming through, he'll go around and he'll groom all the females and become pally with them (laughs) so that when war kicks off, and I mean war because these chimps like, digits are missing and like they're just fighting and biting canines are huge so when this war eventually erupts um the females then side on with the male that was nice to them and he's the clever one rather than just being the bronze and i'm like i'm just going to beat you up kind of thing so it's a really lovely dynamic to be able to see that and you have to sit and observe these chimps for long hours. And slowly, slowly, you know, you start realising who the characters are, who's going to be funny and, yeah, you'll know them one by one, name for name. So, um, yeah, it's lovely.
0: So they have different personalities today. They? They've got that like, kind of.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So we had euro, so they're all named after uh, money. So like we had twopence, sixpence, euro, shilling. Um, and Euro was this young female that was still kind of like adolescent um, and she'd go up to Sixpence, who was the alpha male at the time, and she'll raise her hands really high in the air and just like slap him on his back. <laughs> and he'd wake up dazed, like going, who, the, who on earth is going to like beat me up? And turns around and finds this little teenager and males can't really beat up the children in chimpanzee society. So then he's really frustrated and it was like the nearest chimp he just takes it out on them. <laughs> so it was really funny. Like she knew she was like, she wrapped, had him wrapped around her yeah, finger. Yeah, it's like a um, and I'm sure it was her, her dad, but he can't do much about it because if he touches her, all the ladies, all the moms will go crazy and just beat the alpha <laughs> male. Um, yeah, it That's was crazy. Lovely yeah it was really yeah. lovely to see that side of things and um uh, record it all so yeah. yeah
0: spend enough time with them you're going to pick up stuff like that aren't you and Indeed. and you've you've done you've done some stills as well as well as video is that right yeah. so I've, i always ask this whenever i've got a, a camera operator on are you have you got a preference do you prefer stills i'm guessing video is more the kind of work that you do now but if you had a had a choice would you rather do stills or would you rather do the video side
1: that's a very good question. Jack. I would say I started off in stills and I've still got a love for stills because there's nothing like capturing that split second shot that everybody goes wow for, you know, mm. and you can make these amazing documentaries, these blue chips or have an input in them and you'll have a, a 10, 15 second in there and people go, oh, that's really lovely, but it's nothing like capturing that still image that's Wonderful. But my bread and butter at the moment is film work. And you have to have the photography side of things, knowing that side to be translated over to the film. Um, It's very difficult to suddenly just get into film. You need to understand the the stills side of things. So I recommend everybody to pick up a camera, be a stills. If you wanna be a wildlife camera man or woman, uh, operator doing video, pick up a camera that stills, work with that, and then tell a story. Um, So one pretty picture is wonderful. It's great, and it shows your eye and composition and everything. But tell the story of what you're trying to show, and you can easily translate that into videography. Um, And that's kind of what I found hard is I used to just take lovely images and then try to do the same with film, but it just wasn't working because I couldn't tell the story. And that's where it takes a bit of time to learn that. Um, But yeah, I, I started off with film and. Uh, Sorry, started off with stills and still will always be in my heart um, as the easy thing to go to. You can take a picture. By the end of that day, the public can see it. Whereas when I do the video, there's a lot of hours behind it, editing and choosing which clip and how to stitch them all together. And normally other people take care of that for me, which is nice, but it takes time as well. Um, And sometimes even forget what I shot because you know, it's already been done and like two two years later it comes out and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that shot. Just. Um, whereas with stills, it stays in your mind straight away.
0: I mean, it's interesting you're saying all that. Whenever Whenever I get a camera up on and they do a bit of both, nearly all of them would like to do stills because it's more simplistic, I guess, and that's nice that it's simplistic, but the reality is it's very difficult to make a full-time living just doing stills. Whereas mm-hmm. I think filmmaking, there are a lot more options and it's I don't know if it's easier, but there's definitely more ways to make a career out of it.
1: That's right. Yeah. So with just with the mounted gear, for example, if you're a more vulnerable person, you can't take heavy loads on your back and you can't hike long distances. The the gear for stills is a lot easier to do it with rather than video. So if you're doing video most of the time, 99% of the time, you're on a tripod. If you're not on a tripod, you're on a stabilised gimbal gimbal. That needs some form of transport, which are a quad bike, a truck, or something along those lines. So it's a lot of heavy gear to carry around. Whereas still, like you said, it's very simple. You click the image, you can do a quick edit and done. You know, it's 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 lovely.
0: Yeah, it's a nice quick process, isn't it? And so you mentioned about wildlife filmmaking. What would you say are the the main challenges of wildlife filmmaking?
1: Storytelling is a okay. big challenge. So getting a beautiful shot of an otter feeding is wonderful but what's it doing like where does this fit in your story about otters what are you trying to tell and it takes a long long time it sometimes it's not successful which is annoying whereas if you take a still of an otter feeding for example it's a lovely image you can show that straight away with videography it takes a bit of time to get all the shots that you need. So the waking up early, getting the time lapse of the sunrise and you know finding the otter, then photographing it. And if it gets scared, it moves away and you've lost some of your shots. Whereas if you with stills, you've got that shot. And if it moves away, you've still got the shot. Um, you kind of have to tell that story. And that's really, really difficult finding those stories and then finding the story that's not being told already you know, we've all seen lions catching zebras in the African savannah, but how can you make it interesting? Whether that's new filming techniques or a new interesting story. So maybe the lionesses have all died and he's got to look after the cubs and that's never been done before. So then people are tuned and interested. So it's finding the story, telling the story correctly, um, and then just the patience. Everything takes so long. Um, Some of these big documentaries take four years to film and you've just kind of got to be patient throughout all and try and like stitch it all together um so yeah
0: yeah, yeah. it must be great when you've been doing those sort of things I mean you said like you've shot something and you forget about it it's just a four-year process and you're like oh yeah I did that it must be quite nice to kind of see yeah. that pop up
1: yeah yeah it is and it's it's actually kind of it's a nice feeling because you kind of go, oh, that's a cool shot, you know? (laughs) Then sometimes if you're learning a new technique, you kind of go, who on earth shot that? Oh, hang on, that's me, you know? And it shows how much you've improved in those four years to what the new techniques and Like a lot of things is happening now in the wildlife filming world. So thermal imaging, drones, um, you know, long lens, it's all underwater. It's improving so quickly that you know you forget where you were 4 years ago and then you get a sudden surprise if it's good you were like oh that's good and if you look back at it you're like oh i could have done better now if yeah. i had the technology of today um so yeah it's it's kind of nice looking back as well you reminisce on what you did and what you got up to
0: cuz i i guess as well with the bigger series normally i, I as, as i understand it you don't get to keep the footage do you so say if you're filming for a blue chip that, so when you're saying, oh, I haven't seen that before, people might think, oh, but you shot it, you can see it. But you, you send the cards off and that's it, isn't it? Like you yeah. you don't really yeah. get to see that again.
1: That's right. So you can have a quick look at the back of, a ca- of back of camera when you're actually there. So the action's finished. You can kind of quick look. Yeah, it was in focus. I feel happy. <laughs> then you literally hand the card over to the producer or the director and then they take it from there. Um, and it goes through all the process of colour correcting, editing and eventually see the final product. And if you're lucky, you get to see it before it airs. But most of the time you kind of sit back with everyone else, you tune in at eight o'clock, you put the TV on and then you go, ah, oh, so that's the shot that they took from mine. Or um, and yeah. sometimes you go, but I shot so much more. Where did you know that go? <laughs> and that's part of the industry. We're always trying to become better and better. So an average shot is no longer needed. We need more than average. We need to surpass ourselves each time as camera operators so yeah a lot of the times i don't get to see the shot again um until it's near done or completely done and um, yeah it's a good surprise it's a good surprise
0: yeah i guess because you're like oh i hope they use because i've done bits before and i'm like oh they're gonna they're gonna use loads of this this is gonna be great and then it's like 20 seconds or whatever i'm like bastards. but what you know what can you do but i guess that's And
1: the tough thing is me and you know how hard it is that we took to get that shot so we could be we were out there for two weeks getting that shot um, on getting everything in between in those two weeks and they only use that five seconds or they only yeah. use that four seconds and then you kind of go but what about the rest of the two weeks yeah uh, but then they're trying to surpa- uh, sur- sur- surpass exactly trying to improve every time from the shot that they got last time so yeah
0: um, uh, yeah really- I don't begrudge them too much. I'm just happy. I'm just happy for the work half the time. But yeah, I know. I know exactly so, what you're what you're talking about. Uh, so, so when did you make the switch from behind the camera to in front of it? Because I imagine some camera operators that would fill them with dread. So was yeah. that was that something that you kind of you always wanted to do, or was it like, right, Hamza, we want you in front of the camera now? Like, how, how did that kind um, of yeah,
1: kind that's of, a, another good question. I. I was always behind the camera and I never really thought of being in front of camera. And I always admired people like Steve Irwin, God rest his soul. And I I want to do what these guys do. And if I can't do what they do, I'll be the cameraman that films them doing what they do. Um, so I never really had the thought of being a presenter, but slowly, slowly being on these shoots, one of my friends was like, you know what, I think you'd be great on camera. And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe, I'm not sure. I don't have the body type or, you know, the chariz- charisma or something along those lines. But she was like, no, no, don't worry. Um, and she contacted her friend who was doing a story about up-and-coming wildlife cameramen and women. Um, and she asked me to come down. They did a little, little bit of uh, filming with me. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know is I'm sitting on the one show on the sofa uh, with these amazing people. And it basically took off from there. So my agent then saw me because one of her clients was on TV at the time and really wanted me to meet her. And she said, look, I think you've got a personality for TV. Um, let's see where this goes. And yeah, and that was that was it, really. And it took off from there to being ranger hamza uh, on cbb's with my own show called let's go for a walk to then doing more country file stuff doing more one show stuff um and eventually i got my channel four documentary scotland my home in the wild um and it's it's just phenomenal
0: yeah it's great that it's working out for you it's really good yeah. to see you doing all that um, yeah and you mentioned CBBS. so how did you find presenting wildlife to a mostly young audience like did you have to do anything different or do you just kind of treat them treat them the same or
1: yeah i think that's that's the most important thing is yes they are children but don't treat them like children don't dumb everything down for them speak to them as if they are teenagers adults um sometimes you have to simplify things just for them to understand it uh but i think kids are way more open to understanding things than some adults do. They have much more of a creative mind. If you give a child a crayon and a pen, sorry, a crayon and a paper, they'll draw these elaborate uh, designs and you're like, wow, this is beautiful. But as we get older, we get taught that this is no longer useful. You know, like the creativity side of things gets subsided and we have to like, right, focus on being an adult, paying your bills, looking after your kids. And this is where artists still keep that little spark that they had when they were younger. So for me, if I can spark a child's mind thinking about mother nature or the wildlife, they can take that on to the future. Um, and I give an example of a, a child who is scared of spiders. The only reason they're scared of spiders is because he's taught to be scared of spiders, whether that's by his parents or older siblings or something along those lines. But On on my show, you see kids that have these little uh, jars with magnifying glasses on top, plug boxes basically. And they are super happy to go over and pick up a spider and put it in and have a look. And to me, that just fills me with joy because at the end of the day, the children are our future. They're the ones who are gonna take the baton on from where I leave mother nature and the conservation side of things. And they're gonna take it on and be our next politicians and be our next prime ministers. So if I can get them to think about nature just once a day, it's wonderful. Um, and a lot of times, if children are the ones who are happy to make the change, the adults, the parents, and the guardians, they will be happy to do that change for them. For instance, for instance, one kid who goes, mom, I, all I want is free-range eggs. I don't want any farmed eggs. I want free-range eggs. And because the child stipulated that, the mother then said, "Well, okay, if he wants that, I can easily give that ability." But it's the mom who's paying the bills or the dad who's paying the groceries that has that choice at the end. And because it's their child who wanted it, the parents are then happy to do so. Um, so it's it's a win-win situation. If you get kids outdoors and loving nature, it makes the world a much better place, really.
0: Yeah, it's a great way of looking at it. I like that analogy of just sort of like lighting the spark on them. That's uh. Yeah. a good way of, of thinking about it i guess and yeah. you're now living so i think we we talked about this briefly before we started but you're living in the west coast of scotland so that must be an amazing place to live i was i was just about to say what drew you there but i'm guessing it's an easy <laughs> that's an easy one to answer
1: well yeah kind of so most people think it's the wildlife that got me here but it's actually a university friend of mine who's been begging me to come on this holiday with them family holiday that they've been doing for 30 years um and eventually I went down to their house uh, in York, uh, Yorkshire and I saw a picture that they took of a stag. And I said, whoa, where did you get the shot? And they said, oh, we've got it in the west coast of Scotland, this holiday that we've been asking you to go on. Um, and we took it with our mobile phones. It was just outside of the car. I was like, right, are you going again this year? If so, can I please come along? Um, and I just absolutely fell in love. So to get to where I am, you have to go through Glencoe. And uh-huh. It's just phenomenal. You know, I've never seen mountains like this. Uh, studying in North Wales, I saw a lot of mountains that were beautiful, but nothing like Glencoe. And looking out the window, I see my first ever wild stag high up on the hill. I'm talking about 500, 600 metres up the mountain. And I was like, please stop. Let me take a photo. I'm never going to see this again. And they were like, just come on, get in the car. Get, <laughs> wait until we get to show you this place and you'll understand how much wildlife's there. And Again, lo and behold, as soon as I was here, my mouth was just to the floor. Um, the amount of wildlife that's here is phenomenal. And two weeks later, I was back for good. Um, I basically spent a week convincing my parents, um, I'd like to move out. Um, I'm gonna move out and they go, okay, fine. It's a phase he's going through, give him like two weeks of living in a tent, he'll be back again. Um, and I spent the second week preparing my car to be my home for the next god knows i didn't know how long it turned out to be nearly nine months um, that i lived in my car before i found a little tiny spot to live here but that's how much this place means to me and i just absolutely fell in love with it and that was nearly 10 years ago now
0: um, all right so you've been up there a while then
1: yeah yeah i've been here i got my house only three and a half years ago yeah so I, I was moving around so i lived in a caravan with no heating and running water. I lived in my car for nine months. I lived in another caravan. Um, but that's only because I love the area. I didn't mind kind of having the primitive lifestyle and suffering with the cold in the winter time. Um, to then eventually being able to photograph basking sharks, the aurora, otters, eagles. There's even cooler whales that come past. So Jonko, the famous orca um, and Aquarius, they come past where I live. And it's just like... Being able to be in a place where there's the potential of seeing orcas, which I've seen twice in the 10 years that I've been here, um, and wildcats, it's just, you know, it's unheard of. And only because this place is so remote, um, and there's only about 150 of us who live in the village, it allows for the wildlife to thrive and be uh, here as such. Um, So yeah, it's a phenomenal place. And the wildlife did draw me up here for sure.
0: Have you got a, a favourite subject up there?
1: Uh, I love my eagles. Ah. I absolutely love eagles. Just because from where I where I sit in the morning, I look out the window and there'll be two eagles sat in the winter, the whole winter. They'll be sat there and they kind of use that spot to hunt from. So you can see them hunt, constantly hunting ducks um, and they come back. But we've got the otters and the eagles um, and, you know, all the deer you couldn't even ask for. Uh, but i really do love my eagles they're, they're just something special about seeing them soar in the sky and i always think if i ever if reincarnation is true <laughs> i'd love to come back as an eagle
0: is it uh, sea eagles or golden that you get there
1: oh uh, we get both so the uh, ones that sit outside my house are the white tails the sea eagle. Yeah. um but just around the corner i've got a nest of golden eagles as well uh, oh and fantastic uh, yeah, and so I know the four birds individually. So in the sky, I can be able to tell which one's which. And um, yeah, they're just so we've got Lawrence and Agatha. Uh, they're the white tail eagles, I've named them. Um, and then we've got Lady and Assassin. Uh, Assassin only because he is just a machine at bringing back <laughs> to the chicks. Um, and yeah, he brings back cu- uh, foxes. So at first, I thought it was a fox cub, but it's actually a fox the binoculars there. are they
0: big enough to take an adult fox are they
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there was a goldie male that brought wow. it back, which is like crazy to think of the size comparisons between the two so a white tail i can expect that or a female goldie but this was a male goldie that brought it back that's why i call him assassin <laughs> <laughs> so yeah phenomenal
0: yeah that that's a bucket list species i've never seen i've seen gold needles on captivity obviously but i've never seen a wild one in the uk so it's it's on my to-do list it's one of those things of getting oh, around to it but no, i've to come
1: around when lockdown's finished you should come around yeah, yeah
0: that'd be awesome that would be cool to uh just this i'm not even talking about filming just to see one through some bins would be yeah. uh would be yeah. incredible that would be really good and you yeah. recently you've just done um scotland my life in the wild with channel four so what was yeah. that like that's been amazing working on that
1: Yeah, uh, just absolutely out of this world. So um, I never thought something like this. So first of all, I'd like to thank Channel 4 for giving me this opportunity. Um, But also to be able to film it in a place that I love and to show the animals that I really care about and have that platform. And not just a 10-minute or a 15-minute piece. A full hour was just, you know, mind-boggling for me. Um, It's... It's a story that I've always wanted to tell um, and how beautiful my village is in comparison to their relationship with the wildlife. Um, So, yes, there is a little bit of friction, but also there's a lot of harmony. Um, So the people who have chickens understand that there's pine martens here. And if they lose one or two chickens to a pine martin, they go, oh, well, that's nature as such. Um, so it's not like we hate the pine martin, let's get rid of them. No, we kind of have to live with them because the pine martins was, were initially here um, and same with the eagles and the deer and everything else. So I really after time, after spending time in this village, I figured this, is out, I figured this out and thought this is a wonderful story, story to try and tell. So Channel 4 gave me this opportunity um, and I've been filming for that piece for probably about six months. And then we, we, they joined me on the last month of filming uh, where I'm going through my trials and tribulations with the Whitetail Eagle. Um, and yeah, to be able to put my village on the map and to show the beauty of it and to show other people what can be achieved if we live in harmony with Mother Nature um, was great. And also to be able to have the... Because people love the 10 minutes at the end of these blue-chip documentaries, these amazing Attenborough documentaries, as people call them, the 10 minutes at the end of how they do it is fascinating to people, and more and more people are tuned in to see that. So to have a full hour long of that, and they see me behind the camera filming the stuff, I think it hit people, and they kind of go, oh, this is great. We really really love this. Um, So, yeah, it was was amazing. And Channel 4 asked me to do more, so hopefully we'll enroll it out over Scotland and try and cover a lot of more ground. Like rather than just the West Coast for me, go and see like the Cairngorms, the East Coast, and even try and like dip my toes into the sea, venture to see what's under the water because it's out of sight doesn't mean it should be out of mind as such. And there's a big, big part that the oceans play in, Mother Nature, carbon footprint, all that kind of stuff. Um, So yeah, we'll watch this space basically
0: yeah that'd be great i bet people can't wait uh, for that to come out and if people want to because i think this by the time this podcast comes out this has already been out but it should be on 4od or more or what, yeah, 4, think, whatever uh, more for yes more for,
1: more for yeah more for, yeah um and yeah just google it um and scotland my home in the wild it should be uh, uh easy to find really or just type in my name i think the first thing that comes up <laughs> is that uh documentary
0: Great stuff, buddy. Well, look, it's been fascinating chatting to you and kind of hearing your thoughts on it all. So thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me and I look forward to seeing you when you come up to Scotland.
0: Yeah, I will. I'll, def- I'm, I'm, I'll definitely take you up on that. So you might regret saying that, but I'll be up there. No, I'm going to see some not goldies. At
1: all, not at all. Not at all. <laughs>
0: take care, Hamza. Cheers, buddy. See you soon. Bye-bye. That was Hamza Yassin. What a lovely guy. I'll definitely make my way up there at some point to go see those golden eagles. That sounds fantastic to me. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at TitBearded and there's also our Facebook page The Bearded Tits Podcast. In the next show I'm chatting to Springwatch presenter Gillian Burke as we talk about how voice work is different to presenting, if she was nervous about joining the team and why we see so few people from BAM communities on nature reserves. This has been The Bearded Tits Podcast, I've been your host Jack Perks and I'll see you next week. Cheers.